Welcome to episode 53 of the Becoming Human podcast. I'm your host, William Nelson. In this podcast, I sit down with Mark Gladstone. He's an educator, learning specialist, and school consultant with over 25 years of experience in New York City private schools and clinical institutions. For many years, I've been fascinated by the learning process. So during my research, I came across some of Mark's work on um, the Child Mind Institute regarding metacognition. Essentially, it's how to think about thinking, structuring your thoughts. I've experienced a lot of insight when pursuing athletics in, in my own writing, from daily journal entries to poetry and even a little bit of comedy. After talking with several people in each of the disciplines, I realized that their strategy and how they think about learning those new skills would define their learning curve to some extent. I didn't really understand all the details, so this is my exploration of that. I know some of you guys, there's like sports enthusiasts or trying to work, become better at your creative endeavors. So I thought that this episode would be of help to you guys, such as it is myself. Mark is specialized in helping children with uh, learning disadvantages um, develop skills in order to strengthen their ability to learn. Also, his experience working with children and developing learning strategies for them is really insightful when you consider our own learning strategies as adults, especially since we're role models to the children that are around us, even if we're not directly their parents. Whether it is some form of competition that you coach or we spend time with some other kind of children, if you impression on them your strategies of orientating your mind and your own character, then hopefully over time we would better our immediate communities. I recorded this episode about a week and a half ago and I've already implemented some of the thing some of the strategies with my son that Mark and I talked about. And it's a joy trying to figure out how to generate enthusiasm for learning with my son. And what the com- what I pulled from the conversation from Mark was really insightful and helpful with not just with my son, but my own process towards sports and my creative work. I know that this will be helpful to you guys. And if you'd like to know bo- more about Mark, you can check him out on Facebook as Mark Gladstone or email him at markgladstonelearning at gmail.com. And I'll include those in the show notes for y'all. Man, this life's exciting. I think the best part is there's, there's always something, something to learn, another experience to be had. Focusing on the process is so rewarding. It's hard not to get caught up in the um, the results, whether or not you're going to hit a bullseye with archery, submit so many people in jiu-jitsu, get a specific time on a race, an amount of pl- applause and comedy, be able to get all of your artwork in a specific gallery or live off your artwork for now. But everything is just a collection of steps. 
The ride's the funnest part. So easy to forget. When you're enjoying the ride, your performance, your results, it's always for the better. Enjoy. I'm a teacher. Uh, I, I work at a school, and I do, um, you know I also have my um, have my consulting work that I do outside. That's really cool. Have you always um, been? Were you a consultant first or a teacher first? Uh, I was a teacher. Um, I started out as a teacher. Uh, back in '89, you know, as a classroom teacher for students with learning disorders, um, and then you know just kind of moved to you know uh, I moved around to you know a few different schools and in different positions. Um, uh, you know, at, at some at some schools, I know I've worked prominently in New York City schools, um, mostly in, in independent schools, and uh, these schools will have. Uh, positions for learning specialists and uh these are you know for you know in comparison to public schools these are um professionals who work with students who have um um you know special needs you know whether it's around and mostly in independent schools it's around learning uh, obviously in public schools you're going to have a wider array of talented professionals who work with students with you know different impairments different vulnerabilities um but um, and then so I've kind of worked as a teacher, uh, as a um, as a school administrator, and then I went into a uh, a practice where I think you saw my piece with the Child Mind Institute, and uh, after that did some you know continued my private work, and I also continued to do work in schools, either either as a learning specialist or as a consultant for um, you know for faculty to help them work with students with learning. Um, either diagnose learning disorders or just, you know, you know simply kind of learning vulnerabilities. What, uh, what got you um, inspired to teach children with uh, um, learning or certain vulnerabilities or learning disabilities? Um, some of it was real, uh, was, you know, some of it was luck, some of it was fate, I believe. Um, uh, you know, I was in undergrad as a business major and was in business for a couple of years. And then I started, um, uh, working with kids, like coaching, I was coaching a little league team. And, um, and I was always, in, I was even as a, as a younger kid, I was a camp counselor. So I always kind of worked with kids in some sort of coaching way. And then, um, when I was about 25, 24, 25, I decided that, you know, I, you know, being in banking wasn't my um, passion, <laughs> wasn't for me, and uh, found more joy working with kids. So I, I um, you know, started researching how to become, you know, a teacher and and uh, moved to New York City uh, from Boston, and um, uh, you know, was looking, f- you know, looking for positions in both public and private, and then I found this position at a school that was for kids with learning disorders. I didn't know what a learning disorder was. Um, and um, it was a, you know, a wonderful uh, independent, uh, I think one of the, the only, at that point in New York City, the only high school for kids with, uh, with learning disabilities. And uh, they took a chance with me as an associate teacher. And it just made sense for me to do that. Um, rather than, um, I think I, I 
in the public school, I would have been teaching typing somewhere <laughs> in my <laughs> business background. Um, uh, but, you know, so, you know, this is like 88, 89. Um, and so, you know, I ended up in this school and just, you know, it just clicked with me as, um, uh, you know, as an educator, as a human, um, and, you know, really got the sense of the vulnerabilities and, and uh, that these kids have and how teaching can really, uh, you know, impact their lives. Um, you know, obviously, and sometimes I would look back at my own schooling, right, and see who were the teachers that really, you know, helped me in terms of these kind of growth years. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, we talk to anyone, right, they're, they're, sometimes kind of look back and, you know, this teacher was really important to me and this, or this teacher really kind of got me or, or helped me. And I think those are the, um, you know, I guess one of the common threads of humans, right. That hopefully if, um, you know, anyone who can be in a school that, you know, you have a teacher who, who understands, supports, challenges you. Um, you know, um, so this was a school that, you know, kind of put me in that position. Um, and I just continued, you know, I went on and got my master's in special education with a concentration in learning disorders. Um, and, uh, you know, then worked in, uh, different schools for the next 25 years, uh, maybe three or four schools as a learning specialist mainly, uh, or, or as a director of learning support for a school. I agree with you. When you say that, um, you know, like the interaction a student has with the teacher, um, it's has a huge impact on how that student perceives the given subject. I mean, that's what I talk to people about um, that I went to school with who are adults now and the subjects that they, I guess, resent and they think that they're often not good at is usually the result of like a teacher who, um, I guess, they didn't make it as enjoyable or not enjoyable or as digestible, I suppose. Right. As other right. as I experienced. I moved around a lot. So I went from California to Washington to Idaho and I was in it was right. the elementary school and I can kinda of remember it and you're able to see the difference um in teaching styles um throughout and I got to meet people and some of the teachers that I had they weren't um they weren't really into it and it was evident within the classroom. Um and I even went to an alternative school uh, towards the end of, like, high school. Right. That was a very telling scenario because I would be in the same classroom with people who would have um, certain uh, learning disadvantages uh, or mm -hmm. even social disadvantages from also right. having to work a full-time job while going to school, and maybe their parents are illiterate. And that creates a, a whole new relationship with uh, English as a student. And um, it was interesting watching the teachers because I would have a very uh, personal relationship with the teachers, just one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, it was nice about that school. You would listen to the um, teachers developing different strategies in how to um, essentially teach children who either didn't want to learn or just felt so disenfranchised that the idea of being good at something would seem insurmountable. Um, yeah, I think you, you hit on really, you know, two things that kind of um, really connect with my thinking too. Is one is the impact of when we talk about the impact of a teacher, especially like in, in the elementary years, because you in 
you know, you sometimes you're with the teacher with that teacher for the entire year. And you mentioned teaching styles, and I think that's that's super significant um, in terms of teachers being aware of their style. And I think there's definitely more awareness now that teachers need to be able to differentiate, right? That you know you can't expect all students to be at the same place, um, you know, when they're coming into your classroom in September, and that they're all going to grow at the same pace, and they're all going to need the same types of supports and type of teaching style. Um, so, and, you know, I've definitely, you know, I've had, you know, friends or colleagues uh, who, you know, you know, when they haven't had a, um, a teacher that's really connected with their kid, that could, you know, that's a, that's a almost, you know, it could be a full year, right, yeah. of, of that kind of challenging experience. Um, and, uh, and the... Um, I forget what the other part of it was. Uh, that's something that, uh, well, we haven't quite explained what metacognition is, but the, that's something that really hit home with me when I was reading about metacognition. Um, and it brought me on to your article on that uh, child mind, where it's really hard to control for that. I mean, like, regardless of what discipline you're getting into as an adult, for instance, you're not always going to have great teachers. Um, or not, I don't want to say great teachers. Um, I, I just uh, you're not going to click with your teachers very well because um, you know a student being an adult, you're saying yes, right? And yeah, to control for like a perfect uh, relationship, I, I think would be less realistic than teaching someone um, uh, how to think essentially and, and how to navigate that realm and be independent and identify how they yeah. learn and to be able to communicate that effectively and have a relationship with the teacher. Because I grew up in that public education system, and there would be kids who'd be like, "Well, that teacher sucks," you know. And it's <laughs> no, not you, you know. People are trying, and um, there's some way to pull value out of every scenario. And that's where I think right. being more introspective and self-aware um, is a huge advantage for somebody to learn. Um, and uh, that's why I was interested in metacognition. So if you could just explain for the audience, um, what is metacognition? So, um, you know, metacognition is, is in kind of defined as thinking about one's thinking. Um, so it's, um, you know, it, it's a, it re- kind of refers to the learning process of, of somebody kind of using a plan, monitoring, you know, having a plan, monitoring that plan, and assessing their understanding. Um, and it, so it includes this kind of self-awareness of your own thinking and learning and also who, you're, who you are as a thinker and learner, per se. So um, it's... Uh, you know, it's kind of having that that awareness, like, okay, these are my areas of strength as a learner. These are the things that challenge me. These are the strategies that work for me. Um, being able to, you know, to to um, think about all these things while you're, you know, while you're in a learning process. And uh, cultivating an experimental mindset? Excuse me? Uh, is it so kind of like cultivating an experimental mindset? Trying out yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. I mean, I think that's you know. I mean, that's what you you know when you're talking about the importance of of, of teachers being aware of this is um, 
is yeah they want they should be thinking that this is you know I sometimes see the school as a lab right it, it is it is an experiment right so you're um, you know being able to uh, you know to understand how students respond to uh, different challenges to different teaching styles and being able to um, articulate with them. Um, you know, depending on the age, obviously, in terms of how that conversation takes place, uh, you know, to help them see, you know, what, you know, what worked well in the situation, what didn't work well, what, what strategies did you use that you knew, what new strategies that you, did you come up with, uh, that supported your, uh, you know, following through on a plan to complete the assignment. Um, so these, it, you want to, um, uh, but I think you know more. I think you know definitely schools are more aware of this now. I mean, you see more schools having these uh, learning profiles on students where they're actively involved and in kind of keeping tabs on um, you know again what what their strengths are as a learner. What are some of the vulnerabilities or weaknesses? What are the strategies that work? And what are the strategies that we can work on in the future? to put that student in a, in a position of success. Um, I, I, I now remember my, my point earlier when you were at, talking about students. Um, you know, my sense is that all students want to do well if they can. Um, and I'm kind of taking this too from a, uh, um, from Ross Green, uh, Dr. Ross Green, a psychologist who I saw speak, you know, a number of years ago. Um, and that students will, will, you know, want to be successful, and if they and they want to do well, and if they're not doing well, then something's getting in the way, and it's up to the adults in that student's life to help them figure out, or figure out together as the adults in that kid's life. You know, what what can we do to support you know this student? Because we have to go with the, with the with the assumption that they want to do well. So. Helping them, helping them get there, assuming that they want to do well. Okay. Right. And that's like the assumption. The assumption should be that they, you know, that they they do right because sometimes you'll, you know, uh, you'll be in student support team meetings with, you know, in my experience with, with deans and um, psychologists or, or uh, students, teachers, and they'll sometimes, you know, a student will be struggling and they, and it gets to a point where people are, you know, uh, frustrated. Right. Even to, you know, teachers, you know, can become frustrated when they, you know, are trying to they're trying to teach, and the student is having difficulty, and you know, then there's a, um, you know, sometimes a, uh, you know, a conflict where the, the student is not seeing, you know, in, in what they may be perceiving as this teacher is not really helping them. So what are they? What are their choices? They can either, you know, if they're have the wickedness to say, oh, then I'm going to kind of do what I can to make sure this teacher knows who I am as a learner. You know, that's someone who has probably some really good metacognitive skills, right? They're aware of their own uh, thinking, and they're also kind of thinking externally to how someone else is um, responding to their work. And then you might have some students who will say, oh, you know, this 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 is not for me, right? This teacher's not for me, or this subject's not for me, or... Um, and, you know, there's some, uh, sense of maybe giving up by the student. 
what seems to be an effective, I know it's hard to generalize, but what would be, what is an effective um, strategy when you do see a, a student giving up? Seeing a student what? When you having see difficulty? Yeah, uh, yeah, having difficulty, and um, it looks like they're giving up or not putting in the effort anymore. Um, I mean, this to me is like the, one of the exciting parts of, of the positions I've had in schools, whether it's a learning specialist or, um, you know, the position of a director uh, of learning support, that um, you you learn so much by doing um, record reviews of students, right? So um, if I'm, you know, teaching in the high school and the student is coming in in ninth grade and in October, we're seeing, and this is not, an uncommon thing in high schools, uh, you know, a student is struggling enough, to, you know, um, when quarter grades come out or some sort of progress report. And um, I think you get a lot of good feedback by doing some research in the students' um, files in terms of what their experience was in uh, the elementary and lower school years, in their middle school years, um, looking at test scores, reading um, uh, the um, the reports, the um, that are the school reports that are written by teachers, um, and getting a sense of you know getting a fuller picture of that student, um, and that I find to be a really good tool in terms of helping um, making a point, you know, understanding that student better. Um, now, in 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 my field. Um, you know, work that you know someone who's um, working with you know students with um, either with specific learning disorder with specific learning disorders or some other child you know in terms you know some students may have uh, some ADHD you know may have maybe diagnosed with ADHD or may have some challenges around anxiety. These can also impact somebody's learning. So some students may even have um, in their background have kind of gone through a um, some neuropsychological, a neuropsychological evaluation, um, or, or or even a neuropsychological. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. What's that? What, what is neuropsychological evaluation? Uh, neuropsychological evaluation is a um, is an opportunity. Um, the evaluation is a report written up by a neuropsychologist or a school psychologist. And it's based on a number of assessments. Uh, the two key, you know, I think the two um, uh, two key components is, are the uh, cognitive testing, which is the, the IQ testing, and then there's the academic achievement testing. So it gives a sense as to, you know, how that student performs, you know, uh, in terms of cognitive, in terms of their uh, cognitive testing. You know, we have a sense of their verbal comprehension, their perceptional reasoning, their significant one, a really key component, I think, I find in this is a student's working memory. Um, and uh, and you also get a sense of a student's processing speed. So sometimes you'll, you'll, be, you'll have students who are quite bright, but they process at a slower speed. Um, but sometimes that's when you'll see students who have, let's say, extended time on um, on assessments, either standardized or school assessments. So that's 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 one part, and that could be a really helpful tool in kind of gauging the students' abilities. 
uh, in terms of their academic achievement, this kind of these tests focus more on a student's reading ability, their ability to comprehend their um, to comprehend what they're reading, their fluency, how smoothly they read. Um, it also assesses their written expression and and their mathematic their mathematical abilities. Um, now the neuropsych evaluation also will include uh, in a sense of students. Uh, Abilities around executive functioning skills. I'm not sure if you've heard that term before. Um, no. This is and, and I find this really. I'm sorry. What? Oh no. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if you have. I mean, it's kind of a. It's. Um, I think it's more commonly you know uh, utilized in schools now. Um, and 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 I think this has a real connection with metacognition because you know executive functioning is. Uh, is, is kind of composed of, um, you know, areas that involve, a, you know, students' working memory, um, their ability to, uh, you know, recall something from their long-term memory and then do and do a task in the uh, in the in, in the present. There's like there's a lot of working memory. Uh, tasks in school. Note-taking is a working memory task. Uh, taking a test is a working memory task because you have to be thinking. You have to be kind of bring, you know, being able, be able to uh, think about the things that you've learned before, and then you're kind of learning something new in, in a lecture, and then you have to kind of, how do I integrate this and put this into notes, or how do I integrate what I've learned and put the and and um, and complete a task on an assessment. That's a um, a skill in, in which you can um, you can cultivate and correctly correct. Sorry. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a hard one. I mean, it's it's a, it's. I mean, obviously, with anything um, to cultivate that, you have to be aware. Um, you know, the, the teachers and the students and who are you know, the teachers who are in that student's life and the parents. Um, you know, there are ways to help, you know, to improve it, um, but it, it's, you know, it's still, it can be a challenge, it can always, it can, it can, it can always be a challenge if a student, if somebody has a, like a lower, um, kind of a weaker working memory, um, it can make it difficult in school. Um, but yeah, with awareness, with support, with, um, appropriate tutoring, um, with good teaching um, and also parents being aware that, you know, they may need to do different things at the home, um, you know, in terms of helping that student, like, like you say, cultivate that, this, this ability, um, you know, some, you'll see some students who will come to school with that, you know, with that uh, backpack that is full of papers. It wasn't, you know, uh, you know, students are kind of, you know, throwing papers in there and it's kind of, you uh, you know, I think teachers, uh, you know, would recognize this for some of their students. And, you know, in some way, the parents also have to be a support to that student to ensure that they're kind of following a protocol even at home, right? Um, and some students will just need more, uh, uh, something more apparent, more, uh, um, that's the word I'm looking for. It's more um, uh, available to them. You know, these you know, having reminders in the home, having a calendar, 
that notes you know what's coming up either in their life as a family or um, in the student in the in their kid's life as a student. Um, so they're you know thinking ahead, um, and that's that's a component also of of you know executive functioning that also I think supports somebody's metacognition uh, because then they can be more aware to. Uh, you know, to be to plan for what is coming up. So to be more proactive instead of reactive. Yes, exactly. Um, and I would imagine that role modeling that would um, be very effective as opposed to just um, saying that or lecturing that. It is. It is. And I think that sometimes the you know, when I'm working with families, I, I see that as one of the challenges where you know the parents may have difficulty with with their attention or with their um, organization in the home, and to then to expect a student to be able to who may even have uh, you know a greater challenge there, um, they're going to need you know, greater support, and so it's it's. Um, you know, sometimes my coaching uh, I provide is for the parents to like make them be aware that this is this is a challenge for your son or daughter, um, and school is one place where they can get that support, uh, but it also has to be at home too, and they have to be aware that they just you know to, you know just having a tutor or having a learning specialist work with a student or. Um, even you know, seeing a psychologist once a week, which sometimes you know can be uh, a result of, of um, a student who's who's you know, struggling at school. You know, the home should you know it's going to be really helpful for the home to be a place where this overt scaffolding is is there. Um, you know, and, and, and in my experience, my sense is that you you know, and, and as a teacher, you want to provide that scaffolding. Um, scaffolding in these levels of support, right? So if even if they're, you know, when you sometimes walk into a classroom, usually in elementary school classrooms and sometimes in middle school classrooms, you'll see these reminders for students. You know what? You know what? We what, this is what we're doing first. This is our day. That like that's a good, you know, that's where you know that's a you know a good teaching tool. You know, the scaffold that teachers provide for students. Now, some students will need that every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. First day, first period, we're doing reading. The second period, we're going to gym. The third period, we're going to do some writing, et cetera. Um, and for other students, they they don't need that. They have that. That they've memorized it. But still having that there doesn't impact them, right? It's it's still available to them. But the students who need it, um, it you know, you want it available for them, um, you know, to use that. Yes, because I would imagine to assume or expect all um, parenting households to be in this um, ideal situation would be unrealistic. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be unrealistic, but, what, you know, it, when you do have the opportunity to work with a parent or, you know, whether it's privately or in a school setting and, you know, and so at some point, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll have, you, you, if the student is, is struggling, you'll, you'll meet with the parents and you kind of discuss what's happening. Um, you know, having a, sometimes having a psychologist or a learning specialist or someone kind of, you know, who kind of knows this, you know, it's a good opportunity to kind of ask, you know, 
know, how, th- how are things organized at, at home is, you know, um, you know, does your son or daughter have a, uh, you know, a working, pl- you know, some place to do their work, you know, is, um, uh, is there, uh, you know, pr- you know, a desk for them, is there lighting, is there, is there space, um, is, and some students are going to need, um, uh, you know, you know, support around, you know, scheduling their time to do their work at home. Um, and you're right, you're saying it's a tough one because in our ideal world, ideal world, yeah, that, you know, this would happen. But again, you have, um, you know, some students who, who, you know, children who have to kind of go home and kind of work on their own or, the, you know, parents are quite busy, et cetera. So that's, you're exactly right. Like, you know, in an ideal world, this would be happening, and then sometimes when it doesn't, um, you know, the hope is that the student is, that is um, um, is still kind of gaining uh, uh, and learning strategies that will make them that will help them be more successful in, in their responsibility, right, as a student. Yeah, you create um, fail-safes or redundancies kind of where you have several yeah. communities who offer the very similar ideal opportunity. And if they can take advantage of it in one place due to circumstance, um, then they can take advantage of it in another place. Right. Right. Like sometimes you'll see, like I sometimes find in my work in schools and even, you know, as a, as a, you know, private consultant, um, you know, Sometimes the focus is on the academics, and in my experience, I found some really uh, keen insights on a student's ability to process information from their specialist teachers, from their art teachers, uh, from uh, their coaches outside of school. Like, you know, sometimes in school, um, you know, teachers are teaching, students are. you know, learning, taking you know, taking notes, they're engaged, but the, sometimes the process of that work is at home and in homework. Um, but uh, often in these in these other areas, like in art or in sports, or you know, you, you see this, they see the student, they see the child processing there in their class because uh, a lot of the work is done there. Um, so there's a, I think you, know, you can get a lot of keen insight on a students, um, you know, how, how, how they're performing in these other areas of school, I think, can relate really well to, you know, if there's a challenge in an academic class. Mm-hmm. And, um, how does uh, competition or, you yeah, know, competition or performance, um, how does that fall into uh, or how does that affect a child's ability um, or, yeah, ability for metacognition. Like, I've... Um, did, you say, did you say did you, did you say competition? Yeah, competition or performance. Like, I teach yeah. uh, uh, jiu-jitsu uh, for children, right? And right. watching children um, fail and, and have to realize that um, they are not failure and to see that that's just something to learn, right? Where, and to move past that. And also, like, they have to handle ego as children, right? Like, you're yeah. not um, assuming that you're the best, for instance. And so what if you're the worst? You're just only going to get better. And I was a kid where I didn't have very many um, sports or I didn't, you know, perform. 
perform in public things, even if that was uh, like poetry or comedy or something like that, where you're mm -hmm. assessed um, against other people. Um, I overcame personally a lot of insecurities um, through jujitsu and poetry and comedy because you go up there and you realize that um, you're not as bad as you think you are. And if you are, it just means you only have room to improve. It's difficult to create, yeah. um, what is it, to negative dissolutions about yourself in those scenarios. Yeah, and can I ask, like, when you got involved in jujitsu, is that something that you did on your own, or was there somebody that somebody that somebody kind of encouraged you, like, this could be a venue to um, to you know further support Will's you know sense of self and self confidence and self advocacy? Um, was it something that you kind of? I did it on my own. I was listening to um, podcasts. I always thought that was a very, you know, a violent thing. And why would I do that? I'm not strong because I've always been a smaller mm -hmm. person or a littler guy. And um, my friends were really good at sports. So I just thought I was destined to be bad at sports. Um, I guess it's not called a learning behavior. I forget what it was called. But I, um, when I started to get into jiu-jitsu, that's when a lot of my beliefs about myself were challenged. And I realized that right. as well because my son's got into jiu-jitsu and I will, I'll teach the class. It's, it's fascinating. And I've learned people or I've got to meet people who have competed all of their lives. And I used the people that I grew up with, like in the alternative school, for instance, they're just trying to survive. And there was an entirely different day-to-day um, -day experience, and I noticed that they viewed themselves differently, and they viewed their uh, strengths and weaknesses differently, as opposed to stat or right. static and fixed, that you can work on them, you can overcome them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's why... Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes it... Um, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I think being able to find these these uh, uh, these appropriate challenges, right? For um, you know, for kids or what? Again, whether it's uh, you know, sometimes you'll you'll hear about. Um, I mean, I've worked with thousands of students over the years, and um, you know, students who are you know, have you know, you've, you've kind of seen you've, you've uh, I've seen where students you know they're involved in, in some outside. Um, uh, cha you know, challenging uh, exercise, and I mean exercise, not like you know, just. I mean, an exercise doesn't like like you're not um, not just you know, uh, practice, you know, practicing. But um, what I mean is, in terms of like you know, finding a uh, you know, whether it's a sport or a, uh, a, a you know, a, a martial art. Um, that you know can help a student kind of all right i'm gonna you know i can slow down here i can i'm gonna focus i'm gonna practice and you're gonna you practice a lot mm -hmm. right is my sense in these um you know in these areas but you know coming back to your question about competition um i don't know it's it's, it's a really interesting um i don't really think about much about competition but what i do see with students is um uh is you know their students will constantly 
you know, check themselves and then compare themselves with other students. Um, and, uh, you know, so when they see other students kind of uh, growing up or maturing or kind of taking that next step in their learning process or their, you know, in our topic at hand and metacognition, being able to be a little bit more aware of their own place in the world, uh, what their role as a student, how, you know, how they perform, um, where they do best, how to tackle an assignment, et cetera. So when other students see their peers starting to do that, if they're kind of, you know, kind of having a harder time with that, that can be, you know, I feel that can be a good thing. Um, so whether it's, you know, competition or more comparison, um, I think it can be really helpful in the in, uh, um, uh, in the in the in the goal of of helping somebody be more metacognitive, right? Um, at least being you know they're, they're cognizant enough to to compare themselves and to see like oh my friend is now doing this I'm still at you know I didn't even think about doing that now maybe I should you know this could be something that. Yeah, maybe I should be, be doing some, you know, reading on my own, right? Yeah. Or I should be doing my summer reading or uh, spending more time on my work. Um, so that type of, um, um, you know, I think there's definitely a lot of competition and, you know, um, in school, especially, on, you know, up in high school and, you know, where students are sometimes, um, uh, you know, preparing for their next step into college or university. You know, there is competition, and some of that competition I think can be really good and helpful in terms of helping the student grow and and understand themselves and their place in their in their environment. Um, so, um, you know, and it's also said that sometimes this competition cannot, you know, it can get a little out of hand sometimes depending on on that particular school or environment. But, um, um, you know, I think comparison, you know. You know, students being able to compare um, and uh, see what other students can do, and can you know, can really you know help this process of of being more metacognitive for sure. And I, I would almost even stretch it a bit further from competition to just social learning environment. Right, right. People like some. I, I'm even thinking about it now because my son has a conversations with his friends. He's in kindergarten, and. Um, they talk about the books that they read and, you know, what books that they're able to read. And they, they kind of like compare it amongst each other and not really feelings ever getting hurt, but just reveling in the excitement of being able to read like a new level of book, for instance. Yeah. And noticing when other children or themselves even um, are falling behind from their friend or from the class as a whole. Right. Yeah, that's how old is your son? He's uh, six. He's six. So that's um, was he first or second grade? Uh, kindergarten. First birth. First kindergarten. Yeah, oh. his uh, birthday is in January twentieth, so he missed that cutoff. By right, right. Um, that's Excellent. what motivated me to uh, write my kids' book, and also what brought me to you was when my son was going through school. Um, I, I'm really young. I'm like 23. So I had my son when I was 17. Um, mm -hmm. And I frequently remembered resenting school, um, reading through the cliff notes so that I can finish that book report. For instance, and as an adult, 
I'm on my own free time. I'll it'll I'll have trouble going to bed because I'm staying up so late learning about something new, whether it's like uh, stoicism or physics, and with no real end goal other than wanting to know more. And I didn't understand why I had a negative stigma of school. And in the alternative school, I met people who were like that as well. I met communities within school who were like that. Mm-hmm. So not everyone. There's children, you know, of all sorts who um, would really excel and look forward to school. And children who focused on sports more than um, academics, people in between. And then there's other groups of children who just outright resented the entire system and just wanted to get out quickly. And, you know, it was the weekends here. And I've never been in my, from my perspective now, I I can't understand that because that's all that I ever do is learn. I mean, if I want to um, go hiking, I learn about the wilderness. And that's the funnest, it's the most exciting part of my life. And why didn't I perceive it as exciting as a child? Why do other children or some children fall into that um, same situation? So I tried talking to my son about like homework and some way to talk about it as like we're learning something new, something to be excited about, not something you have to do, it's something that can be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, from someone who's been, you know, working with families and, and children for over 25 years, I mean, that that's, you know, it's a, a really, um, you know, it's a wonderful thing to hear. You know that 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 conversation is going on between a parent and their child, um, because that's you know you want you, you know you want that connection and you want you know you want your child to be able to talk with you know to be able to um, not only discuss what they're learning in school but um, you know to, to open that dialogue so when things are challenging that they aren't that students aren't holding that in. Um, and, you know, trying to, um, in my work with students, either with, again, with specific learning disorders, you know, sometimes there's, there's some shame there. Um, and when you haven't kind of cultivated that dialogue uh, as um, as a parent with a younger child, um, it could even take more work to cultivate that, you know, when they're in middle school or upper school and, and struggling in an area that, you know, they were able to kind of keep to themselves, you know, an area of weakness or area of vulnerability or uncomfortableness that, um, so, um, you know, it's, you know, it's nice to hear that, you know, that you're, you're cultivating that now. Um, and, you know, and you're, you're also, you know, right here on the younger side too. So there's, um, sometimes we just, we don't know, right. We don't know that, you know, I think, you know, obviously I think, think students now compared to when, when I started 25, 27 years ago, you know, they're, I, I see students kind of, you know, they're more aware of the world around them. You know, things are just more available, you know, the information is more available uh, for better or for worse. Um, so they are, you know, they're kind of growing up a little faster. They're, um, uh, you know, and they're kind of being sometimes, you know, put into position to be critical thinkers mm-hmm. at, at younger age, at, at a younger age. So, um, so like, you know, even you know, I look back at my uh, schooling. Yeah, I was I wasn't thinking about how I learned, or it really wasn't. I think until college, um, when 
I realized that what I was doing was not working. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the grades weren't. Um, and then like something has to change and I, you know, I had to kind of self-reflect and kind of, and that's, I think when I started thinking of myself, you know, as a learner and, you know, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Um, but, you know, now, you know, hopefully we're more, con- you know, that we're more aware to, to support this and, um, you know, in, in schools, you know, pre-K through 12, um, so it's, um, you know, so it's nice to hear that, you know, that this, that, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, students who, uh, for whatever reason, yeah, going to the cliff notes could be, you know, could be helpful. And sometimes I use that with some students as, you know, as a pre-reading strategy, right? Because if, if, if a student has a reading disability or has struggle, you know, struggles with comprehension, you want to create, you want to help them get, you want to help them, you know, read the material, but you're going to need more like pre-reading strategies and, and helping them understand, you know, the you know, the characters of the book, what may be coming, um, you know, having them kind of come up with questions like what, you know, these are things I'm going to look for when I read because now I know this information. Um, And then, you know, hopefully get more joy out of that reading experience. Um, um, Interesting that you say that because I could see some people like, you know, there's this strict way in which you should do it, which read the book. And that's it. If you read the summary, you know, that's cheating or something like that. But looking beyond that yeah, and seeing, like, I, I like how what you mentioned earlier about looking back at the, you know, the student's history as they're coming into high school, right? And you look to see their strengths and their weaknesses and going off of that as opposed to presumption of how it's, how you're supposed to teach something. And I'm mainly speaking from uh, a parent's perspective. Because I met certain parents were like very rigid and and they mean very well. I mean, most parents do. Um, Very rigid in their approach to how their children should learn. And oftentimes that can create a conflict between the child and the parent in taking the focus away from what actually matters, which is um, the understanding of the subject and learning. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's really helpful in kind of getting a sense as to you know where the student is, and then kind of you can you know um, again this is this is also you know coming back to this ideal world, this ideal school where you where there's resources in the school and there's you know support staff in the school to be able to do this you know for students, and you, and you know and I've, I've you know visited as an educational consultant, um, you know I've visited. Um, and I'm aware of, you know, I think most New York City independent schools and the specialized public schools. And I've spent the past couple of years also kind of visiting a number of uh, uh, boarding and uh, preparatory schools, um, you know, throughout New England and the tri-state area. Because I sometimes, you know, help families if a student is struggling in a, in a school and sometimes, you know, parents will come to me to look for, you know, you know, that this school isn't working, what school's going to work for my, for my kid. So, uh, you know, doing that background, um, you know, is essential in my work. Um, but again, it's, you know, there's obviously, you know, a lot of schools that, um, you know, maybe not have, won't have the resources, you know, to put this into place, you know, to kind of, you know, to make an individualized plan for a kid. Um, I think what happens sometimes in public schools is that, you know, it's, uh, it's up to a student, you know, having an IEP um, uh, in order to get kind of go get those services. Um, 
but um, even students who may not have a diagnosed, you know, disability, they they can still be have a, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I, I do use the term vulnerability a lot, or a weakness, or um, uh, you know, an, uh, an area that is that is um, that is still difficult for them. You know, they're going to you know may need a different a different approach to helping them build that skill. Um, and um, you know, and, and skill building, I think, is the key. Like the content, you know, I think um, you know some some parents will um, uh, a, a common uh, conversation I have with parents is whether to um, you know if their student is in a school and they're uh, kind of struggling in reading or in writing um, and they need more specific support there that the school cannot provide. Um, you know, the question is, do they? You know, seek out a school that's going to provide that support, or provide you know the you know the supports outside. Um, and my you know my feeling there is that you know it's really important to build the skills. Um, and again, coming back to metacognition, we want that student to um, you know to uh, improve in their skill area and be more aware, right, of of their learning process. So, because the content is always going to be available for students. Um, so I think sometimes there's a, there's a lot of focus on content in schools, um, and I think what, you know, the focus should really be on the uh, on the skill building. You know, so that you know you're, you're creating an opportunity where students have more opportunity to have you know to have um, uh, to learn based on inquiry rather than just um, uh, learning. Um, you know, specific content. Um, that's, I would imagine that's very relevant in our current environment because honestly, if you were to look at it from an adult's perspective and an adult trying to learn something, um, content is not an issue anymore with um, the internet, for instance, or, right. you know, any kind of schooling that you can get or mentorship. I mean, there's there's too much, not too much content. It's now how to discern um, the what signal to noise ratio, for instance. Right. Because you, you can get lost in the minutia of, of things. I've um, wondered that myself with adults who tell me that they don't have very much time to um, to learn more about the things that they enjoy, right? And mm-hmm. you see that they wipe off their car, the outside of their car every single day, like with, with a rag. And, and I mean, why don't you do it twice a day? And, and you can get caught up in things that, that are, um, what is it, uh, irrelevant or they, they're not very meaningful to you. And I think, like, in, for myself, I am largely self-taught with, like, graphic design and stuff. And, and in, in those scenarios, I have to utilize those skills that I was taught to discern, okay, what's the 80-20 of this? Twenty percent of information that will make me, you know, eighty percent effective in that area, and that, I like that teaches the individual to be independent outside of that. Because, like, um, something that I consider with my son is I can't always be by his side to give him the content. I can't always. It's not always that idea, ideal um, scenario, like we were talking about at the household or even at the school. If you're in like a small town and the school can't provide very much resources and moving seems insurmountable for your family. Like giving them the skills to seek out that information and to stay hungry 
seems it's uh, very valuable in today today's world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the yeah. What's the old saying? You know, uh, teaching a teaching a um, it's the parable of the you know the horse okay. in the water. Yeah, you can uh, or you can teach you can feed a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish. Right. Yeah, how to fish, right? Yeah. But, you know, and that's and that's part. You know, that's I think that's an important part of of uh, um, in schools. Um, uh, especially in middle school and in in high school, um, but uh, what's uh, but yeah what's, I, yeah go for it. No, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say what's a uh, a common pitfall that you see students have in the learning process. Uh, I think this this goes back to this term I was mentioning before around executive functioning. Um, so this, you know, this is, um, you know, students, and this is, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, concept. I think you know we obviously we know more now because of the of, of brain research, um, and you know, so we kind of have this sense that you know in this in the the prefrontal cortex is, you know, this this kind of decision, you know, the, something called the CEO of the brain. It's the decision making. You know, this is where you uh, make decisions, you know, and hopefully good decisions. So the students who aren't making good decisions sometimes will say, "Oh, you know, um, you know, there could be some, you know, some skill weakness here because they're." Um, you know their ability to think about what they've learned in the past and to uh, utilize that in the present is is a challenge. Their ability to be uh, flexible learners, um, to be able to um, uh, to see relationships between uh, what they've learned, you know, from one course to, to another or one teacher to another, to be able to because um, in high school we we ask students. We ask a lot of students, right? They're the ones who are shifting from teacher to teacher, from teaching style to a different teaching style. They are still trying to figure out their learning style. Um, so students kind of are kind of forced to be, you know, flexible thinkers. They're the ones who have to kind of shift set. They have to go, okay, I'm going now. I'm going from science. I'm going to math, and I'm going to English. And I got to, and they have to kind of change their focus. And this teacher has one particular style, and this teacher has a style that's more. Um, you know, uh, it's more lecture-based. This one is more uh, cooperative-based and dialogue. Uh, this one is more. This class is more student-led. So they're the one. The student, the teachers aren't shifting as much as the students are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the other part of executive functioning is be able is being able to self-regulate, right? Being able to uh, to control your um, uh, your uh, um, not only performance in that class or in a task, but you also have to kind of inhibit how you emotion, you know, how you emotionally feel about it, right? Um, you're not going anywhere without your feelings, so you, you know, you're con- you constantly have to self-regulate that. Um, so if you're if a student's getting frustrated, um, you're not performing well, or you know, how, you know, some students will be able to to um, uh, to regulate that frustration, say, all right, I'm going to keep it together. I'm not going to make a scene. I'm going, you know, I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to, you know, think about the task at hand and come back to this later. Where some students will will not have that 
um, ability yet, because I think this is a this is something that students can uh, work on and improve, is their ability to, to self-regulate. And this happens as you know as we get older. Um, I think you know there's some uh, you know I think a lot of the research says that this part of the brain, right, this prefrontal cortex that also has the amygdala, which is um, kind of controls that um, uh, fight versus flight. Uh, feeling, you know, when you come up to um, a task or um, a bear in the woods, <laughs> whatever, yeah. um, you know, with, with what to do. Um, this, I mean, this, you know, this, this, this feeling, I think, around neuroscientists is that, you know, this doesn't really fully develop until people are in their mid-20s. Um, so, um, you know, so it's interesting to hear your story, like, you know, your you're growing, right? As a learner, as a thinker, as a provider, um, you're being, you are being metacognitive as a parent and at, as someone who's continuing their, their own learning process. Um, you know, for some students, this is, you know, it's, it's, uh, I say students, but in young adults, uh, this can be difficult. And if they really, if they haven't, if they're still struggling with, you know, with their executive functioning, with their or their attention, and they haven't come up with, or you know, it hasn't been supported, or they haven't developed, you know, some self, you know, some strategies for the self that's going to help them continue to grow. Um, sometimes these are the, you know, the students who grow into young adults who, you know, who sometimes struggle in life. Sometimes it's struggling, you know, um, having, you know, keeping a job. Uh, you know, maintaining a healthy relationship uh, with a partner. Um, you know, you know that's why I think you know it's, it's you know I think this topic is really important. Um, this idea of metacognition and the uh, and the knowledge of of executive function skills and the uh, importance of of adults, you know, whether they're teachers or college professors or you know, and parents. You know, to to be understanding of 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 this, that this is going to continue to hopefully develop with support. But it, you know, it, it's it's something that that research seems to say that you know some you know some that people really won't fully develop this until their mid twenties. I always kind of um, I teach courses on executive functioning to kids, uh, mostly ninth graders, um, because. Uh, you know, you, you asked me before, I'm kind of giving you a long-winded answer, so I hope it's okay, but um, what, I, what, what I see is, you know, students, um, you know, some of them are coming into a high school, um, you know, they may have performed really well in middle school because they're smart, right? They, they're, you know, they have some really uh, strong uh, verbal skills, and um, they, you know, they were able to do well in middle school, they tested well, et cetera, but High school can be a, a different, uh, you know, can be a totally different place for a student. And now they're being asked to think differently, to think more critically, to think more out of the box, to uh, be more independent, uh, to write more, to read more. And so some of those students, I think, kind of, um, and, and really to kind of organize and plan. Um, because maybe in middle school, yeah, they could... They could do really well. There wasn't a lot of work, um, and they, you know, they could just, uh, you know, follow up, um, you know, kind of knock off their homework, you know, from subject to subject. 
Um, in high school, it's a little different because you're getting more kind of long-term projects. You're going to have to think ahead. This paper is going to be due in a week. This, this research paper is going to be new next month. Um, you know, a common challenge for kids in high school is just, you know, procrastination, yeah. uh, you know, kind of cramming, doing things at the last moment, thinking, oh, I can, you know, they'll start something uh, and, you know, we'll work with students to maybe get them to write a, an outline for a paper and they'll think, oh, all right, I got this, and then I can just finish it off the night before. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's what you see where kids aren't really thinking of, you know, that they're having you know, more challenges in terms of being um, more independent, in terms of being able to plan, to prioritize mm-hmm. uh, their assignments, um, to think about how long something's going to take, time management, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes you have to be really explicit and kind of teaching this to students, like, how, you know, and even doing it with them, how long did this take? All right, now let's think about this. This took 20, 30 minutes, you know, and this is one part of the assignment. You know, how much time do you have to set aside for yourself to, you know, to complete the rest of it? So I think these, uh, this idea of, of, of uh, executive function skills is the thing I see that challenges students most. Um, in my experience. It's very relevant because I'm having to learn that on the fly now with podcasting, um, a variety of things, even like training for martial arts and my work too. Like to ask me deadlines, how long is that going to take? And originally, like, what? Um, well, how long do you need? I'll, I'll do it then. And, um, yeah, then I've started to evaluate, you know, like how long do these things actually take? And I, therefore I am not in a reactive situation, but I can be proactive. So I can manage my stress effectively because I don't have. Yeah. To- I like, I like, I like you said that earlier too, about being, you know, the idea is to, to be more proactive than reactive because, um, uh, you know, when I get, you know, again, when you're reactive, um, you're, you know, how are, you know, how are you going to react? You know, some people will react with avoidance. Some people will react with um, frustration, you know, externalizing that frustration. Um, that's sometimes what, you know, I hear, um, you know, I hear a lot from families where, you know, students will work hard. You know, this, com- this also goes back to our conversation about comparison. Students will work hard to keep it together in school. Right to to not let out their frustration. They don't want to be, um, you know, they 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 they're with it enough to know that this is you know this is not going to help them in their in their social realm, right? Um, but when they get home, you know, I'll, you know, I'll hear from parents like, you know, uh, my son is is losing it at home. Like he can't. Um, he's lashing out at us. He's frustrated. Uh, having a you know he's not completing his work. Um, but it's you know it's in a different it's a different situation you know um, it may not be happening in school, um, but it can be happening at the home. Mm, yes. So it's. Do, do, um, do you get it? You know, so do, yeah. So yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, do parents often get it, or do parents sometimes get it confused with an um, like procrastination or frustration as an intentional thing, as opposed to um, a react as opposed to a uh, reaction or reactive response from the child. Like, yeah, I, you know, yeah, it, it's 
um, there's a lot of variety there. Um, I don't want, you know, again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to you know, overgeneralize, but, you know, you, sometimes you will see, um, uh, you know, in talking with parents, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear about their experience as a student. Um, and sometimes there'll be the, well, you know, this is a struggle for me and I fought and got over it. So my son or daughter, you know, they'll be able to do it. You know, they'll, you know, I struggled and, uh, you know, made me a better person or whatever, or, um, but it's hard to really know <laughs> if it, you know, if it really worked. I mean, again, I think we're, we're more aware now that we, you know, we want to support, we want to, um, again, coming back to metacognition, we want to make students more metacognitive, more aware and, and, um, appropriately, you know, we don't want to give them, you know, depending on it, you know, we want things to be age appropriate, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of what their awareness should be or what they should be thinking about in terms of their learning. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's, um, you know, there's parents who really want to, uh, learn and understand, uh, what struggles their child is having, um, and, you know, you'll have some who, all right, I'm going to read this book and that book and what, whatever you suggest that I read to gain, you know, gain greater understanding um, to, you know, some parents who feel like, well, you know, this is um, this is uh, something that they're going to have to figure out on their own because we were able to do it um, or one of the parents was able to do it. Um, so it, it, you know, it definitely varies, but I think the more, you know, parents are part of the, I mean, it, it you know, when there's a, a, a issue in school, you want to have a collaborative approach to, um, to problem solving and to, and, and to supporting the child, supporting the student. And it's, I think it's, you know, it's, you know, unless the school, you know, unless the student's in a boarding school where, you know, they're, they're being, you know, the, the teachers in that school are, you know, are there 24 hours and responsible. I think it's important for, you know, parents to be, you know, part of that, um, part of that, 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 um, strategic plan, a collaborative strategic plan to support the student and be an active part in it. Yeah. Just like we were talking about earlier is creating those, um, environments that support the child to learn both at home and at school. Right. Right. Thank you very much for this conversation, Mark. I really appreciate this. Well, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, no problem, man. And is there any links that I can include in the show notes for the audience to find your work or to support you in any way? Yeah. Um, so uh, Gladstone Educational Consulting is uh, is my uh, website, and there's a Facebook page as well. Um, I can be reached at uh, Mark, and it's Mark with a C, Gladstone Learning. Uh, at gmail.com. And uh, again, so I'm, you know, in addition to working in schools and supporting teachers and uh, support their um, understanding of different, you know, different learning styles and uh, putting in uh, approaches to differentiation, uh, uh, differentiation in their teaching, um, I consult with parents in terms of helping them 
uh, you know, figure out a good plan for their for their child, you know, whether it's finding the appropriate school or finding the appropriate supports so that, again, this, you know, metacognition is the goal. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we want. We want students that when, especially when they're on their own and 18 is still for some kids, they're still, again, what we know about executive functioning and, and, um, you know, their, their growth as a learner, they're, they're, they're still not, um, they're still not there yet and making, always making, you know, good decisions, um, that it's, uh, you know, that's what I want to cultivate when, you know, when working with parents and while they have their, uh, kids under their, under their roof so that they can continue to, um, understand and support the challenges that they have. Be able to sandbox the child so that they can experiment without it being a permanent, um, consequence. Right. Right. Yeah, thank you so much for this, man. And, and I'm really excited even on the aspects of adults because I've seen uh, adults and teenage children come in and out of probation. And sometimes I wonder through the conversations that I've had with them. And I know it's very, very, it's hard. You can't really generalize. But how much of, is it, how much of that situation is how they structure their mind? Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've, I've, you know, there's there is some research also. Um, it's a, you know, and you know, had some anecdotal um, uh, experiences myself with students that I've worked who've who've either been um, incarcerated or uh, you know have, have, have you know have kind of got into tr- you know difficulties. Some some a lot some of these students, um, you know. There, there are undiagnosed learning challenges, right? That students, you know, sometimes these kids are putting themselves in situations that they're that they have difficulty talking themselves out of or thinking through, right? Again, this is this is a uh, um, you know this is something that really doesn't mature fully until someone's in their twenties, so. The students aren't really thinking, you know, thinking things through or uh, having trouble sometimes having trouble expressing themselves uh, to say and to think like, oh wait, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. This does not make sense. Um, this is not going to serve me well. You know, if they're not thinking this through, then sometimes they do end up in these situations. And I, um, um, and I, and, and I know there's research out there that says a lot of these students, you know have underlying or undiagnosed challenges that may have um, uh, you know, um, put, helped put them into a situation where, um, you know, it wasn't uh, um, not, a, not, a, not a good one. Leaving them at a disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. I'm, we're probably going to have to do a round two because, honestly, I still got a bunch of questions. I wish I had more time. <laughs> uh, happy to. I think it's great. I think it's great that you're doing something on this. I don't see much. You know, I've listened to some of your podcasts. I think it's really, um, really impressed with, um, you know, what you're putting out there and, um, you know, people, you know, the journeys that people take. Um, you know, we all have our own personal journey. And then as someone who's being, you know, you know what you're doing. You know, seems like you're really helping people kind of uh, see the other. You know, what opportunities and what other journeys are out there. What people have taken, 
um, uh, to uh, to reach some uh, whatever success, self fulfillment, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever seems to make sense for them. Yeah, and that's, that's the main thing was is growing up, like I said before, about the stigma that I had towards school and towards a lot of things. Even like writing, I didn't pursue writing because people told me good luck being successful, and uh, I realized how much my presumptions were often wrong that I would rather spend my time being curious instead of assuming how things worked. And um, I also found... Lifelong learners, lifelong learners with what we're looking for, right? With, like, writing and creative experiences, um, I question, too, how, you know, the difficulty of being successful, how much that is metacognition, because in a uh, rigid uh, corporate environment, if you will, or somewhere where, you know, you can get promoted, um, there's, it's not based off of your performance alone. I mean, if you write a good book, for instance, like there's no one telling you, okay, this is where you, you know, you need to review your book. You need to figure out how to write better. Like it's all you. And if you don't do the work, I was telling you to. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Wow. I want to learn more about the learning process, especially if there's any actionable ways to increase your executive functioning. Um, and how meditation might play a role into it. There's some interesting things that were released by Dr. Rhonda Patrick, which you can check out on Twitter, with increased, um, what, memory from that correlated with an increase in uh, regular exercise activity within adults. And the positive cognitive benefits that I've gotten from exercise, from um, meal planning strategy, um, trying to gauge my opponent's emotions, I guess. That would be empathy. It's spilled over into my day-to-day life, making a lot of things trivial for me, whether it's um, interactions, coping with various extreme emotions. It's been genuinely helpful. It's nice to be able to research more information about the science on this and also realizing the shortcomings of my intuition in comparison to science. Meaning, when I believe that there's a benefit and there turns out to be more of a placebo. But This is a lot of fun and I'm going to do more of these uh, podcasts that I sit down with specialists from a given field to explore more topics that are backed by research. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, head over to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to it, and rate it, share it with your friends, spread it around.